Well, take your Bibles, please. It's time for the Word. I was sharing with the worship team this morning that as I was preparing the message yesterday, uh, my niece was having her wedding shower in the side yard over there. Beautiful arrangement. The tents were set up. All the food was there. All the ladies were there. I'm upstairs studying away, getting ready for this. And you know what happened yesterday afternoon around 1 o'clock? The floodgates opened up. And I went from, you know, the studious pastor to the maniac, trying to get everybody in the house, all the food in the house, everything, the chairs, everything. So the message was a little interrupted, but I'm trusting the Lord that he's going to put it together right now for us. But we're in, uh, we're in Philippians. And uh, if you've been following along, we, are, we could stand together. Well, we could stand as we read the word. Philippians chapter 3. We've been going through the, the epistle verse by verse. And can I just reiterate something here? There's value in going through the Bible verse by verse. That's why we're doing it. There's so much we get out of it. Otherwise, we would kind of, you know, skip over it. But going verse by verse, there's some things you can't avoid when you, when you do it this way. So anyway, uh, we're chapter 3, uh, reading the first nine verses. So let's read it and then we'll pray. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe, or it is a safeguard. Beware of dogs. Now, you know that this needs some explanation. Let me just get through the passage. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, <clears throat> if anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're right here at this time today, on this Sunday. I pray, Lord, help me to preach this word the way you put it in my heart. And let it be edifying and glorifying to you. Let it give you praise, O oh God. Let it exalt you, Lord, as we proclaim your word today. But Lord, also let it fall upon ears that want to hear, thus saith the Lord. Let it be edifying and encouraging for the body of Christ. Let it be convicting for us. And Lord, for anyone that may hear this that is not a believer, we pray that through the process of the preaching of the word of God, someone's faith would be activated and they would become a follower of yours. Lord, bless the live stream. Bless the, uh, the, the recording and, and the, uh, the, uh, the online uh, presentation of this later in the week or later in the month. Let it, be, let it always bring, uh, bring hope to somebody and glory to your name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Praise God. Well, if you want to get some of the uh, previous 
uh, sermons, you can go to our website, newlifechristianag.com, or go to our YouTube page, which is New Life Haverhill, or our Facebook page, which is New Life Haverhill, and you'll find all the things that we do here, all the sermons, all the live streams, all the Tuesday talks, all the Thursday talks, all the Wednesday night in the Word. Everything's on the YouTube page in particular. So if you want to get caught up, you can, you can certainly do that. I've entitled the message today, Confidence in Christ Alone. And I want to, I want to talk about what, where is our confidence. Chapter 3, verse number 1, Paul seemingly begins to wind down his letter. But I find it interesting, Pastor, the pastors in the house will know what I mean. When we start to wind down a sermon, it still takes a little while to get there. So he's winding down in chapter 3, but he's got chapter 3 and chapter 4 to go before he really finishes. But kind of similar, you know, he's got, he wants to get in a, another word here. But verses 1 through 9 kind of summarize a, a spiritual position that we all must take. Uh, is that we're based and rooted in knowing Jesus Christ. That is our only real source of confidence and security and the foundation of our faith. Our, our confidence, our security in life uh, is never found in outward successes. We're not rooted in that. We're rooted in the faith and belief in Jesus Christ. We would also include here... Our confidence is not based upon religious accomplishments or family history. Can I get an amen right there? Now this is now you're now you're looking at me. I have a wonderful family history. I have a my family's good. Need salvation, but good people. But the Lord many years ago singled me out of the whole bunch and plucked me out of all that. And put me in a situation where I realized as good as everything was, as good as our reputation was, as good as my education was, all the things that we did, it wasn't good enough for the Lord. And so he saved me. He, he knocked me off the proverbial high horse and saved my soul. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he said, We preach Christ and him crucified. It's foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those that are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. I mean, I heard the gospel before I got saved. It made no sense to me. But when the Spirit of God came on me, when I was ready to really pay attention, it was the power of God for salvation. Paul said in that passage in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, When I came to you, I didn't come with fancy words and a lot of, a lot of hoopla and, 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 and uh, self-righteousness. I came in, in humbleness and in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That what you see in here, you would know, was not from me. It's from the power of God. And can I just say what happened this morning? That was a Holy Ghost moment. Nobody planned for that to happen. Like the worship team didn't gather, didn't, didn't meet early and say, okay, at, at a certain point, this is going to happen. No, we just worship God. And when we worship God, sometimes things happen in an extraordinary way. So this reaffirms our position that we are all about Jesus Christ. Now, let me just make a little comment, and I don't want to get into it because I know I could go off on a tangent, and I don't want to do that today. Can I get an amen right there? I mean, social media is great. I love, uh, graphics, uh, presentations on Facebook, they're all good. I, I see some churches have tremendous things out there. You think, my goodness. You know, but I, I don't know. I, all I want to say is our, our message is not 
It's not focused on, on, uh, on, on frivolous matters. Our fo- Let me tell you something. My goal, my, my purpose as a pastor, pastors, you know this. Our role is to help our congregation get to glory. That's our purpose. Now, in the process of that, hopefully we have a good time. But I'll have to tell you right now, after 30 plus years of ministry, it's not always going to be a happy time. When flesh and spirit mix, sometimes it gets ugly. Can I get an amen, pastors? You know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just the way it is, but it can't be any other way. We're talking about life and death situations here. We're talking about eternal matters. So I want to I go through this verse by verse, one through nine. And then I want to talk about, as time permits, uh, what happens when our confidence really is in Christ. So let's go through this. Verse number one. Finally, he says, finally, which is relative to Paul's style. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. Be happy in Christ. Let, uh, let joy arise in your heart. Remember, Paul's in prison. Paul's uh, locked up in, uh, under house arrest. Uh, the church, the Philippians, are going through some troubles in relationships with people. They're worried about our dear friend Epaphroditus. I said it right that time. They're wor- concerned about him. But uh, he's, say- he's saying to them, rejoice in the Lord. Last week, um, my other daughter uh, told me that uh, her little girl, two and a half, was carrying freshly washed laundry. And uh, she said, uh, Mommy, smell happy. Smell happy. And she told me, I said, Oh, yeah. And I said, You know what? She, she didn't know how to make the, it, it smell clean, fresh, pure, you know, good. It smelled happy. And I think we should ha- kind of get that in our heart. Our relationship with God should be a happy thing. Our life should be rejoicing in God. Our, our, our life should be, now, I, I know I'm preaching, but I, I have my moments when I don't feel like it, but I do it anyway most of the time. But it's a goal to get to. Sometimes we just have to determine, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord my God, my Savior. It's all going to be all right because Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He says the same thing in verse number 3, rejoice in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 4, we used to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And that was a popular, popular song for many, many years. But so we we are called upon to be a rejoicing people. And then he says, for me to write to you these same things, what what he's talking about is for me to write to you the, the gospel, the same things that you already heard, it's not tedious, it's not boring, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a, a burden for me, uh, it's not difficult for me. It, it, it's, it's good for me to write this to you. And for you, me writing to you is a safeguard. Because you may have heard the gospel from somebody, but when you have the written word of God, you can go back and you can check to see where, where, what's right and what's wrong or what they really meant to say. So the written word is, is a safeguard, and it never changes. People may change. Opinions may change about the word, but the word of God never changes. And he says in verse number two, which in my vernacular, this is way out in left field. What does this have to do with what I just said? Beware of dogs. I like canines. But that's not what he's talking about. He's making a point here. You rejoice in the Lord. 
if I could just jump ahead, what he's saying is don't rejoice in the law. Don't rejoice in your accomplishments. Rejoice in the Lord, your God, your Savior. And, and for me to write to you, I'm happy to write to you this word that I'm sharing with you. But beware of dogs. In other words, you know, uh, in Jesus' day, the dog, dogs used to mean Gentile, well, it could still mean, but it means Gentiles who reject Judaism. They're rebellious. They're, they're, uh, they're not good people. They're ungodly. They're unregenerated. They're, they're unregenerate people. But in this case, it has to do with Jewish people that are refusing Christianity. He says, so, ref- so beware of the dogs and the evil workers. The evil workers are probably the Judaizers that were Jewish people that wanted to incorporate the law with faith in Jesus. So yeah, be a Christian, accept Jesus, but you've got to get circumcised, you have to follow the dietary laws, you have to follow the feast, and so on and so forth, and you, you have to do both. And Paul's saying, no, beware of that. Beware of the mutilation. Now that refers to those that are circumcised. In verse number four, he says, uh, verse number three, we are the circumcision. Now he's writing to people that were Gentiles that weren't circumcised in the flesh. They were circumcised in the heart. So he's saying, beware of those Jewish people that are putting laws on you, putting free. You're released. What happened? Okay. To do with this thing, I'll put it over here. Okay. Well, then I can't walk very far. (laughs) I'll put it back there. Uh, okay, so anyway, beware of those, those, those Jewish religious people that want to put things on you. It says, well, verse number four, uh, verse number three, uh, we are the circumcision, we who worship God in the spirit. That's what happened this morning. We were worshiping God in the spirit. Couldn't you tell? I mean, we try to set the table. You know, we try to we, we pick songs and get everything ready. We set the table, but when the spirit of God breathes on it, all of a sudden, it becomes a spirit thing. So those who worship God in the spirit, those who rejoice in Christ Jesus, not in accomplishments or religious things, and those that have no confidence in the flesh. That's what this is all about. So he's saying, uh, believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We honor Jesus. Our excitement, our joy, our rejoicing comes in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 4, remember the story of the uh, Samaritan woman. He said, you know, the time is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's what happened today. We sing our songs, but sometimes in, in some settings, it takes on a whole nother dimension. There's a spirit worship going on. There's new songs that are being composed just as we're singing. Just make up a song as we go along. And not only that, but it's not only a song that we sing, it's a life that we live. I want to reiterate that. He's talking about, you know, worshiping, rejoicing. Oh, Grab the mic, okay. But now I can't talk with both hands. (laughs) I used to to use a mic all the time. When I got the wireless, I was like a bird out of a cage. (laughs) Now I'm back to this. Oh, well. 
I could put it in a, in a stand, but that would take too much time. Okay. So Paul says in verse number four, he said, I might have confidence in the flesh. But see, we, we worship, we're the circumcised. Even though you weren't physically circumcised, you're a believer in Jesus. You've been circumcised in your spirit. You're a follower of Christ. We don't boast in the flesh. But I could boast in the flesh if I wanted to, he's saying in verse number four. I could boast if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. And Paul goes on to give his credentials of boasting in the flesh. And I like this passage because it really goes along very well with Acts chapter 9, which is Paul's uh, salvation testimony when he got knocked to the ground and received Christ as his Lord. But this is what he was giving up to receive Christ. So he says in verse number 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Well, Genesis 17 talks about through Abraham, the, the, the law or the rule was to be circumcised, the male children, on the eighth day of life, as Jesus was in Luke chapter 2. He was a real Jew from birth. He had good Jewish parents, and they raised him properly in the laws of the Jewish faith. He says, uh, verse number 5, of the tribe, uh, I'm sorry, of the stock of Israel, uh, if he were to uh, Google Ancestry.com and get on that thing, his, his uh, lineage would go all the way back to Abraham. Romans 11 one says, I'm of the seed of Abraham. His mother and father were Jews. His grandparents were Jews. His great-grandparents were Jews. Every, all the way back to Abraham, Paul was like a pure breed of Jewish person. He was proud of his heritage. So circumcised, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, Benjamin... Being of the tribe of Benjamin carried a certain weight of honor in the Jewish world. Uh, Benjamin was the favorite son of Jacob. He was good, faithful. He never revolted against Jerusalem, never got involved with idolatry as the others did. So saying I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, it was almost like a way of saying, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Not like you guys, but I, you know, I, I come from good stock. And he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, I, I, I've been, a, I've been in, in, in Hebrew school. I'm raised in a Hebrew home. My culture, everything I have is all Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews through and through. So regarding the law, he said, I'm a Pharisee. Well, regarding the law, he's a Pharisee. He not only was an adherent of the law, he was a leader, a teacher, a ruler of the Jews. He was an important person in Judaism. Remember, the Pharisees often had conflicts with Jesus, and they would often butt heads together, although Joseph and Nicodemus did believe. In Acts 23, 6, we read that Paul's father was a Pharisee. You can see, Paul has some great lineage, uh, lineage here, some great uh, genealogy here. He, he's from good Jewish stock. He knew the law. He knew the traditions of, of the law. He knew the quirks, and all his knowledge prompted him to adamantly pursue and stop the church from growing and expanding. So in Acts chapter 9, which, which is when he gets saved, he had already established himself as an enemy of the church. He brought havoc to the church. Regarding zeal, man, he was on fire to stomp out the church. Regarding righteousness, he was blameless under the law. He was a fanatic he was zealous, and he was righteous, but both, both were misplaced in his life. That's why Jesus had to stop him dead in his tracks in Acts chapter 9. Like many of us have the same kind of story. We're doing our thing, thinking we're doing okay in life. Well, all we know how to do. 
based on where we come from. And one day, all of a sudden, we have this revelation, what I'm doing is so wrong. And Jesus interrupts us. We're praying for our family members. Jesus, interrupt them in their lives. Lord, they're not listening to me. Maybe they'll listen to you. Maybe they'll listen to to their friend. I pray constantly, Lord, send friends, Christian friends into my family. They won't, well, maybe they will listen to me, but send somebody else. (laughs) Send somebody that they could relate to or whatever, but somewhere, you know, let them hear the gospel. So verse number seven, Paul says, what things were gained to me, man, he was, he was, uh, he was like up there on the social ladder. He was edu- you can't be a Pharisee without being educated. He was smart, bright, learned. He was, a, he, was, he was at the top of his game, you could say. But all these things that were gained to me, I've counted them loss for Christ. I often think that sometimes we want Christ and we want everything else too. And most of the time, it doesn't work that way. There's got to be some give and take here. God wants something to go that he could come in. There's got to be some things in our lives that we let go, that he takes charge over, and we surrender to him. So verse number 8, he kind of explains this. He says, yet indeed, I also count all things as lost. I count everything as lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Interesting, isn't it? I count all things as lost. I suffered for those losses. It wasn't easy to let go of those things. What's he talking about? Probably ridicule, his loss of social position, his loss of financial gain, perhaps. I suffered, but I gave everything up. I let everything go. I suffered for that, that I may... may, that I may gain Christ, verse number 8, and be found in him. I I think there's a connection here, church. If we want to be found in him, we got to give up some things. we got to stop doing. It's a matter of how we think, though, isn't it? It's like, how do you you process life? Like you may be, like I was brought up, you know, things are good. The more things you have, the better off you're going to be. Cars, boats, houses, vacations, Whatever. The more you have, hallelujah, the better you're going to be. Well, sometimes the Lord is calling us to step out of that realm and see what God will do with just you, without all the stuff that makes you you. Just you, all by yourself. What will God do with you? So then, uh, so then verse number 9, uh, be found in him not having my own righteousness. See, he, he, he knew. He had his own righteousness before. His own righteousness brought him to Damascus Road where he found himself laying on the ground with his head in the sand. And Jesus saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know you're kicking against the goads, those metal spikes? You think you're doing something good. You're hurting yourself. And so he realized, no, my righteousness is not in who I am and what I've been through and what I have in life. My righteousness is found through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. So verses 1 through 9, I believe our, our confidence is in Christ alone. It's Paul's testimony, who he was and who he has become. What he was and what he has become. Which God he served? Well, he served the God of the law. He served the law as a God, but now he serves the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal God. 
in Paul's testimony on Damascus Road, how he persecuted the church, how he did all these things, thinking he was doing the right thing, but now realizing he was doing all the wrong things. So Acts 9, Philippians 3, a dramatic testimony for Paul. Galatians 1.15, interesting verse. Paul wrote, I was set apart from birth. I was who uh, the Lord called me uh, through his grace from my mother's womb. But it also says in another passage that he was the chief sinner of all. You get the idea that Paul knew he had an anointing on him, but was totally misdirected until, he, until the Lord knocked him down and got alone with him and spoke into his life saying, Paul, what are you doing? Your whole effort is in the wrong place. You're smart, you're talented, you're gifted. You have all these things going for you, but you're doing the whole thing wrong. And Paul was smart enough and humble enough to say, Lord, I believe in you. I accept you. So Philippians 3, 1 through 9, we see Paul gave up everything. But I want to just make a note here. He was still Paul. You know, he was still Paul deep down. But having given up those things made his life so strong, so powerful. Because he had a background. He knew what he was doing. He knew how he was shifting from my priority was once over there. I still know about that stuff, but now my priority is over here. And because of that, he could say things like, to the Jew, I became a Jew, right? To, to, the, uh, to, the, wise, to the wise or to the scholar, I became a scholar. To the lost, I became like a lost one. I became all things to all men that I might win some to Christ. So he's, he always, you know, banked on his life experience when he ministered to people. But anyway, I want to I do this rather quickly today. I probably have too much information, so I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. But I want to give you five things that happen when we put our, when our confidence is really in Christ. You know, how can you tell? Oh, my confidence is in Christ. Why do you know that? I'm going to give you five things to think about how you can tell if your confidence is really in Christ. I'm going to go right through verses 1 through 9. The first one is this. When our confidence is in Christ, we find something to rejoice about. I don't know. I've met a lot of cranky Christians. (laughs) It's not pretty. It's almost like a, you know, doesn't fit. Although I've been there myself, so I can't be too harsh. But I'm saying, if, if our confidence is in Christ, what are we complaining about? If our confidence is really in Christ, or is it like he said through this whole thing, is it my family history? Is it what they think of me? Is it my education, my religious experiences? I mean, the things I had, I had my first communion when I was five. I had got confirmed when I was 13. Did all the right things, but I don't know. Uh, here I am. But, but we rejoice in Jesus. See, if our confidence is in Christ alone, we rejoice no matter what happens. Now, I know that's a heavy statement. You know, some years ago, I had, a, I had to process this thought. The thought was when a believer, when someone close to you dies, someone, <laughs> this was a long time ago, someone, I, I said that to someone, their reaction was, well, praise the Lord. I said, what do you mean, praise the Lord? I'm going to miss that person. That, then it became about me. But they were actually right. When a Christian dies, we rejoice. They're in glory. 
It's a good, yes, we mourn, yes, there's a season for that. But underneath it, there's a rejoicing that all things are good, all things are okay. Take it for anything. If the bottom falls out, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the guy with the car problems. When things happen with the car, we have to find something to rejoice about. At least my car is still running, and I own that vehicle, by the way. You may not like my car. It may not look the best. It's old. But you know what? It gets me from A to B and back home again. <laughs> so far, so good. Hallelujah. That's my car, not your car. <laughs> I like my car. Okay, so anyway, we, we, we find something to rejoice. Remember, Paul's under arrest. He's probably facing death within the next year or two. The Philippians had their troubles, but their confidence was in God. And Paul's encouraging them, in spite of what's going on with you, in spite of what's going on with me, can we just rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice over his blessings, his assurances. Uh, rejoice for other believers. Rejoice that Jesus is coming back. Rejoice in your heart. Rejoice in your soul. Rejoice in your spirit. Just be a people who rejoice. You know, I had an opportunity this week to speak to somebody that had never heard the gospel. A woman born in a different country. And uh, we were talking about the gospel. And uh, she never heard the story, not clearly. She's been in this country for 17 years. And we talked, I had, I had a very short time frame, and told her about Christ, about the prophets, about Jesus, the Messiah, the death and resurrection, the ascension, this coming again. And then we showed her the sanctuary. She said, I've never been in a church before. I said, oh, yeah. So we got the piano, we got the drums, we got the guitars. And we, we sing. I said, you know, Christianity is a singing faith. We have someone to sing to and something to sing about. I said, I showed her the baptism. I said, we, we put people in the water, and they go under the water, signifying their death to themselves, and they come out alive in Christ. She was amazed. But we have a faith that's worthy of our rejoicing. I want to encourage you, find something to rejoice about. Number two. If, we are, if our confidence is only in Christ, number two, verse 1b, we value the word of God. I can remember, and I still do it today, although now I have a Bible app on my phone, but early on in our Christian life, we would always take our Bibles everywhere. Go, go and get a haircut, got to take my Bible with me. Go and get my tires changed, going to take my Bible with me. Going downtown to do something, got to take my Bible with me. Got to walk around with it. You know, it was just like security. It was something special, dear to my heart. Like if I ever had an extra 10 minutes, I'd break open the word and read it. Now we have it on our phone. But I want to encourage you, if your confidence is in Christ alone, let the word of God be paramount in your life. It's the most important thing. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. So get to know the word of God. 1 John 5, 13 John wrote, he said, these things I've written to you that you may believe, I've written this to you, that you may believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you may know that you have eternal life. You ever have any doubts? Read the word. You ever question things? Read the word. Get into a study class. Get into a Bible class. Come Wednesday night or whatever. Get into the word of God. The word of God says 
in 1 Peter 1.23. We're born again, not by, not by uh, gold and silver or corruptible things, but by the living word of God. It says that by, by the word of God affects us. You know, Hebrews 4, it says that the word of God is living and powerful and, and charged. It, 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 it's like a two-edged sword. It's sharp on both sides. It divides the soul and the spirit and the marrow and the flesh. It, 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 it's it's a, dis, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the word of God. You, you feel confused sometimes? Get into the Word of God. The Word of God will be like a knife going into your heart and into your soul. It'll straighten out what's wrong with you. I do it all the time because I need a lot of straightening out. I want you to know. The Romans 10, 17 says, The Word of God activates faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I want to encourage you, if your confidence is really in the Lord Jesus Get into the Word of God and value the Word of God. I'm going to skip over something. Let me give you number three. If our confidence is really in Christ alone, number three, we recognize the false. Verse number two, it stands out like a sore thumb to me. Beware of the, of the dogs and the evil workers and the mutilation. Well, in other words, for us, what, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, be aware of false teachers, false prophets, people that want to bring you down instead of bring you up. Let me give you two references real quick. 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul writes to the church there. He says, you know, some people among you, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. That is going on today. A lot of people have a form of godliness, and they act pious, but they have no power no anointing from God. They're always learning and never coming to the truth. I know people like that. Never, never, never settling on the fact that Jesus Christ is really Lord and he's really coming again. He, but it says these types of people take advantage of people, of gullible, weak people. He says to beware of them, stay away from them, avoid them. But see, when Christ is your confidence, you get into this realm where you begin to discern people and you discern uh, what people are saying about him. In Romans 16, 17, Paul wrote this. I urge you, take note of those who cause divisions and offenses that teach things contrary to the doctrine that, you've, that you have learned and avoid them. I just want to encourage you. If your confidence is in Christ, we don't listen to everything that comes down the pike. And if you have a question, that's why you have a church. That's why you have a pastor and leaders in the church that have been a little bit seasoned. We could probably tell you, well, no, that's good. That's not good. Stay away from that. That's okay. You know, but, but see, when our confidence is in Christ. We don't take everything hook, line, and sinker. We can't afford to do that. Okay, number four is this. If our confidence is in Christ alone, Deep down inside, we know that our confidence is in Christ. Let me, let me go through this. Paul talks about religion, successes in the flesh, family history, personal strides, uh, education, maybe business pursuits or whatever, zeal, self-righteousness. What he's saying, these things will never give you lasting confidence or fulfillment in life. Now, you, you could say education, a good family history, um, 
advancement in life, these are all good things to pursue. But those things in and of themselves will not give us the confidence and the assurance that we need that when we die, we're going to glory. Moses, uh, the Lord used Moses. The Lord used Paul. Highly educated men. Moses educated in Egypt. Great writer, scholar, if you will, wrote five books of the Bible. Paul was highly educated, learned, good speaker, leader, wrote 13 books, maybe 14 books of the New Testament. But but both of those men gave up all the accolades that go with that to follow God. Hebrews 11.25, we read Moses chose to suffer um, with, uh, by being affiliated with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose to follow God, even though he had all these successes in his life. And Philip, uh, Paul also gave up everything to follow Christ. I just want to break this down into, into three things real quickly here. This is under number four. We should know where our confidence comes from. The question is, should we still pursue religious activities? Well, Paul is saying, you know, I was circumcised, I did this and that. Well, let me address that. So religious activities for us, say water baptism, say a baby dedication, say a Christian marriage or a Christian burial or communion. The answer to the question is absolutely, yes, do those things. But knowing those things will never save you. Those things will keep you close to God, close to the church. Here's another question. Should we pursue vocational training and education? Yes, go for it. In today's world, the more education we have, the better off we're going to be. The more training, the better we're going to be. We need to provide for our families. But all this is in the, in the backdrop of pursuing all that is the idea that without Christ, I'm nothing anyway. You know my testimony. My testimony was I, I was a college dropout for five years. I was messed up for five years. But I got saved, got married, went back to college. I, I, I felt in my heart I need to get a college education. I didn't know what the future had for me. But in the back of my mind, I knew I could get this education, but without Christ, this education is worth nothing. But with Christ, it's worth a lot. And so do we pursue things? Yes. You know, provide for your family. You have an opportunity, go for it. But in the background, in the backdrop of that, realize that's not going to give you lasting peace or lasting happiness or lasting fulfillment. Or that's not going to give you confidence because sooner or later, that could, the bottom could fall out of that anyway. Your real confidence will come through Christ alone. But go for it. Be the best you could be in whatever field you, you're in. Learn. Go to school, whatever. Be the best for, for that. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So I, I, I boast on the Lord. He saved me. He plucked me out of the fire. But I do have a college education, praise God. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. That comes in handy in my, in my realm of ministry. As well as some other things that I have that are not on my wall, like troubles, trouble times. They come in handy, too, as part of a testimony. But whatever we have... Let's, let's just, you know, give it to the Lord. The other part of this is, should we have a zeal? Like Paul had a zeal. He had a passion. Uh, he, had a, he had a sense of going for it. And so some people think, like, 
Well, when we come to Christ, we have to kind of get mousy. Can I say blah to that, nay to that? Can we reject that? I, I think it's more like when we come to Christ, the real you and me comes out. And usually that is a little bit excited about the things of God. We need to have a zeal. Christians need to be zealous for the Lord. So, yeah, we come to Christ. We should maintain our personality or enhance the personality under the Holy Spirit's guidance. But we all know that our, our confidence is not in our personality. Our confidence is not in our education. Our, accomplish, our, our confidence is not in our job. And all those are good. But our confidence is in Christ alone. That's why we can make a difference in our workplace, in the marketplace. We reflect the light of Christ in the public market. <sighs> Let me give you the last one. If our confidence is really in Christ, we have the knowledge of Christ. Uh, that's, a, that's a term Paul used, verse number 9. He says, be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Uh, oh, where am I? Verse number 8. Yet indeed I count all things as laws for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. What is the knowledge of Christ? Well, if we have confidence in Christ, he'll give us the knowledge that we need. The knowledge of Christ means we understand, we grasp his love, his purpose for us, his plan for us, his ways for us, his will, his word. All these things are played out in our lives it leads us to understanding our righteousness, our goodness, our confidence is not in our own exploits, but it's only found in our relationship by faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul was still Paul, but he, had a, he lived his life with a different perspective. I want to close this by sharing that when Pamela and I said yes to the Lord, we had no idea what was in store for us. No idea. After a couple of years, we felt the call to get involved in ministry and talk about counting all things as loss. We counted all things as loss. I shared last week, maybe you were downstairs. We packed up that U-Haul trailer with everything we owned, lock, stock, and barrel, moved out, was living in the home that I grew up in as a kid, and just left everything, left family, left friends, left familiarity to go out and serve God. I'm not saying everyone should do that. I'm just saying, what do you have that God wants? There's got to be something to let go of so you can have more of God. And I'm not saying you have to pack up and move to Alaska. I'm not saying that. You can say right here, there, Haverhill needs to have many homegrown witnesses right here, right in this community. But um, is your confidence in Christ alone? If it is, I really think we as a church could do great things for the kingdom of God. Our confidence is not in our ability. I always said this about our church. Uh, what's the word? We, we are, um, we're, we've overextended ourselves. No, we're high achievers. We're, we're overachievers. We would, how could we possibly pull off 11 hillstocks? At what, 5000 10000 whatever we paid a year for that? That was, that was crazy. But we did it through the grace of God because we were hungry for God. Our confidence was not in our pocketbook. 
Our confidence was in God. And we're still in the same place, church. What are we going to do for the Lord? Is our confidence in God or is our confidence in our social media page? Or is our confidence in how, I don't know, how, how we sound as a worship team or how we look as a people of God? No, our confidence is in Jesus Christ. You know, he is the Lord. He is he's the one that gets all the attention, all the accolades belong to him. So want, let's stand together. We're going to wrap this up. Our confidence, if, if our confidence is in Christ alone, what happens? So I want to encourage you, church, start rejoicing in something. Find something to rejoice about. Value the word of God. I mean value the word of God. I don't know. Could you take it with you somewhere? Some people shaking their head. You know what I mean. Sometimes I just like to have it in my hand. Value the word of God. You have an extra half hour somewhere, take out the word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Tuck it away in your heart. Right? Number three, if your confidence is in Christ, don't, uh, don't receive every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike. Let there be a, some type of discernment going on. Don't accept all the false and recognize the truth. Um, know where your confidence comes from. And I, I wanted to be delicate with that point because I, would, I encourage my kids, get your edu- go as far as you can go, absolutely. But keep Christ right in your heart because without that, all your successes mean nothing. And then uh, to have that knowledge of Christ. Here, here's an example of the knowledge of Christ. I know that no matter what happens to me, Everything's going to be okay. I know that if my car breaks down, something's going to happen. I'll, I'll get it. Something's going to happen. I know if, if something happens to my finances, I know God will provide for me. I know if I get sick, I'm going to be all right. If I die, I'm going to heaven. That's not a bad deal. That's the knowledge of Christ, knowing that we know God has us. So I want to encourage you, whatever you're dealing with, I know people deal with stuff all the time. Whatever issue you have, God is bigger than your issue. God is bigger than our problems. I see our brother Ayub here today. Again, thank you for being here today, brother. Came all the way from Morocco a couple of weeks ago, new in the States. God is providing for him. Jobs, some finances, looking for an apartment now, but God's providing for you. <clears throat> Jesus said, Matthew 6, thir- this is the final, the finally part that I'm getting at now. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that you're so concerned about will be added to you. Can we make a pact, an agreement with the Lord? Lord, I will, I will put you first in my life and see what happens. Can we agree to do that? Maybe this week there's some areas of your lives or my life. We need to put God first, and let's just see what he's going to do. Every head bowed for just a moment, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is there anyone here this morning that, number one, um, wants to surrender your life to Jesus? 
I mean really surrender it, 100%. So raise your hand if that's you. Anybody at home, write a comment down. We'll check it out later. Is there anybody here that feels like, I want, I want my confidence to be in Christ, but my faith is weak? I don't, I don't know. I don't trust. I don't know. I don't trust myself. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. This has been a good day in your house. Lord, going back to our worship time, I think you, you interrupted us to prepare us for this word, that our confidence must be in you. Yes, we need to pursue things and get ourselves educated, all those things, like Paul was saying. We need to value our family history if, if we have that, or maybe we need to start that even, but... Even if we started, it's still not going to save us. But, Lord, let us put things in perspective. That life is so filled with conflict and struggles. And we try so hard to be better than others. But, Lord, we can't. We can't. And we shouldn't even try that. Our salvation is in you and in you alone. Lord, Romans 8.28 says it's the best I know that all things work together for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. So, Lord, let us, let us have a newfound confidence in you during these days. And we know these are uncertain times with the economy, with money issues, with health issues. We know that. But, Lord, let our confidence be in you. And in that atmosphere of faith, Lord God, let miracles arise. Let your presence arise. Let the supernatural arise that we may know that you're right by our side. So we give you all thanks and all praise. Lord, for those that raised th their hands today, we surrender to your lordship. We invite you to come in, O oh God. Establish your kingdom in our hearts. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. We believe in the second coming of Jesus. We receive you as our Lord and our Savior. We confess our sins before you. But, Lord, now for many of us, let faith arise. Let faith arise. Let us be hungrier now than ever before for the things of God. Let our confidence truly be in Christ Jesus. Let us, like Paul, lay aside everything else that we may gain Christ. So, Lord, I pray for this week to be a great week for the church, that we would sense you, that we would feel you, that we would, we would be aware of you in our lives as we go through our daily routines. So we thank you, Lord. We bless you. We pray for your will to be done with this message today. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay. So uh, if anyone needs prayer, we'll be at the altar for a little while. There's coffee in the back there. Hope to see you on our live stream prayer at 6 p.m. tonight. God bless you. Walk in victory.